uh, we are going to uh, do a short little three-week series uh, on the Holy Spirit, on the person work of the Holy Spirit. And I realize that three weeks is far too short to unpack uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And really, I'm, I'm asking that this might be a primer for our faith family, for us individually, for us corporately, uh, to kind of whet our appetites uh, toward what he might do, what the Spirit might want to do in different forms and fashions, whether it be praxis groups or formation groups or in your family, your household, in our services moving forward. Even as we get back to, if you're new, what we typically do is preach through books of the Bible. The guy's just finished Hebrews, and we're going to start an Old Testament book in three weeks. And so maybe he would, he would just kind of ignite us for, for getting into the Old Testament study that, that we're going to walk through. And, uh, and, and my, my goals for this seri- series are... Um, just, just threefold. The first goal is this. What every goal, anytime anyone comes up here to preach, is this, is we want uh, God to be glorified above all else. And I know that's kind of a flippant statement, but we want Jesus, I want Jesus in these three weeks to be clearly, clearly seen, and God to be absolutely glorified and magnified within this faith family. Um, but how in the world is that possible? That is only possible, hear me, that is only possible ever through and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit igniting the truth of God to who uh, Jesus is. Um, and so there's no other agenda than that. I don't have any preconceived thoughts of how, what should transpire or take place or what it looks like. I just want to honor Jesus and, and lift him up this morning by looking at the Holy Spirit. And the second thing is this, and this is a little bit more uh, close to home. Um, I've been praying that the the Lord, uh, through the Holy Spirit, might lift um, a spiritual fogginess that I think has set in um, in some of our lives and potentially even in our church. And uh, I, I know this was true for me personally, um, backing up all the way to the beginning of the year. And I, I, didn't, I didn't recognize it. Um, I think some period in my life maybe, maybe, maybe didn't realize it, but having now uh, taken sabbatical, I could see, uh, I could see clearly what that, what that was, what, what took place. And, and let me tell you, it wasn't because of a, an explicit sin issue. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just saying that it wasn't because of a sin issue. In fact, I was like, okay, Lord, like reveal, is there something I'm missing? It wasn't because I, I had, I had marital strife. Uh, our marriage is good. It wasn't because of something going on at home. It wasn't because I didn't love this church or enjoy what, what I was doing in terms of, um, leading and, and shepherding, um, have you ever been in fog? I grew up in Missouri, and so fog's a pretty common thing there. Dense fog is pretty uh, common there. And we were there a few years ago, my wife and I, with our kids, and we were driving, and we were driving and hit some of the most dense fog I ever had. And the reality is, in fog, um, you, you, you're kind of helpless, really. I mean, you could click on your brights, but that actually makes it worse. I guess you could speed up, but you're crazy, Right. And so when, when, when fog sets in, and I would say this is true when you're walking or whether you're driving, is there, there are really two options. Slow down and pay attention. Slow down and pay attention. And so as this spiritual fog kind of rolls in, for some of you, you're like, yes, I, I see you even like nodding your heads now because you know what I'm talking about. Others of you, you may not recognize it or realize it until you slow down and pay attention until the Holy Spirit illuminates. That was the case for me. That was the case in, in, in my life. And, and so the third goal really is this, that, that, that we would collectively get a greater awareness 
of the Holy Spirit's role and work in our lives, thus leading us to a greater pursuit and seeking of the Spirit in our church. And so we're going to spend three weeks on looking at, at what that looks like particularly. And listen, it may not end in the conclusion of the fog rolling away. But my prayer has been, is the, the, the most important prayer is not that the fog rolls away. It's be, it, it, the most important prayer is this, that you realize that I recognize who is intimately with you in those moments, in those moments of, of spiritual haze and, and fog. And so I want to look at Jesus's teaching on the Holy Spirit. So John chapter 14, right? This is a good place to start, right? Jesus is teaching on the Holy Spirit, the greatest teacher of all time. John chapter 14, and we're going to be in verses 15. I'm going to read verses 15 through 31 just to set the context of how Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit. Next week, I'm going to talk about actually the experience of the Holy Spirit. What, is it, what does it look like? What does it mean to experience God the Holy Spirit? But I want to lay some foundational stuff today for us. John 14, verse 15. I know you just sat down, but in honor of reading God's word, stand back up, all right? This is Jesus' words teaching his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while... While I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of, the, of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. There we should all go, praise God, right? But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the, the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from... This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So the great hope of the gospel, right? And we know the gospel as the good news of, of Christ, the grace and mercy that is true to us who believe in Jesus. The great hope of the gospel is this, is not that God just closes the chasm or separation that was caused by sin between us. But the great hope of the gospel is this, that God actually places inside of his people his Holy Spirit. 
This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. This is the hope, right? Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 36 says this, and I, God, will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The next chapter, Ezekiel wants to double down on that. He says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And he goes on in that same verse to say, and that's how you know I'm God and you're my people. Why? Because my spirit is within you. Okay, that is all over the pages of our Old Testament, God placing his spirit within us. And then you fast forward to the New Testament where we here are in the Gospels, in the scope, in the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in, it, it really enlarges even more so. I love what one uh, pastor, how he puts it, really surveying the whole New Testament on the work of the Holy Spirit. Get this. He says these things. He says, we know from John 3 that the Holy Spirit, that through the Holy Spirit, we're born again. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We know from Romans 8 verse 13 that only through the Holy Spirit we can put to death the deeds of the body and live. We know from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that all of our efforts to pursue holiness can only be possible because of the Holy Spirit. We know from Ephesians 1 that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom that without, we would be hopelessly foolish in our life without the Holy Spirit's ministry. That we waste our lives on trifles without the spirit of wisdom. We know from Romans 8 verse 11 that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. In you. So he then wraps this conclusion up in a negative sense. He goes, So without the Holy Spirit, and listen and look at this list, it'll be behind me. We have no new birth, no confession of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, no victory over sin, no progress in sanctification, no spiritual wisdom, no spiritual gifts, no resurrection from the dead. And this preacher goes on to say, We owe everything to the power of the Holy Spirit from new new birth, meaning justification, to new creation in eternity's future. We owe it all to the good that comes into our lives from God the Father, the merciful purchase of his Son, and the transforming power of God the Holy Spirit. I mean, that sounds like somebody who's got like charismatic blood running through their veins, doesn't it? You want to know who that was? John Piper. And we're pretty familiar with John Piper around here, right? He's not necessarily known as a charismatic, but he would say, he, John Piper, even would say, we owe it all. We owe everything to the Spirit's power at work in us. Church, um, I believe we have to repent. We have to repent of our apathy and our contentment toward the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit's movement in our church the current contentment where we are at with God and his spirit. And so I want to look at Jesus's teaching with his disciples. And I know many of you, when you think about the Holy Spirit, what comes to mind is, 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 is the role and function of the Holy Spirit that Jesus actually tells us, which is John 16. We're going to spend some time in there too this morning. John 16, verse 14. If you have a Bible, just turn to the next page. It's right there. And it says this, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. One of the most profound and powerful statements about the Holy Spirit, Jesus goes, listen, he's going to take who I am and apply it to you. He's going to show you me, right? 
It's J.I. Packer. He's the floodlight ministry. The Holy Spirit flood is floodlight. The spotlight is on Jesus. And we say to that, yes and amen. However, if you believe that that is the Holy Spirit's sole role, like his only role, his only function, you don't understand the Holy Spirit. While John 16, verse 14, I just read, is the Spirit's primary role, it is not his sole role. Soul, S-O-L-E, okay? It's not his sole role. And so I want us to expand. I want to allow the Lord to expand our vision for this God, this Holy Spirit that he has placed in us. And so I don't make any assumptions. You need to know this. Like, the Holy Spirit is God, okay? He is part of our Holy Trinity. He's the third person. That's not a ranking system. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in this perfect union. Three persons, three distinct and unique functions that are in perfect relationship with one another. He is not a ghost, all right? He's not a spiritual force. He's not a mystical being. He's a person who is God. He was there in the beginning. He always has been, always will be. He was not created after, right? He's not some created thing. And everyone who has trusted in Christ Jesus, who's put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, has been given the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as a spiritless Christian, okay? Like, there's, there's no such thing. It's kind of like faith. Like, there's no such thing as a faithless Christian, And at the moment of salvation, believer, you received all of the Holy Spirit. Hear me say that to you. You received all of God, the Holy Spirit to you. It wasn't like God held back 50% like as a down payment to go, let's see if you make it, okay? Or I'll release these funds over time. No, the good news is like we got all of him. That whole work, that whole person resides within you and me. However, our Bible does teach that there is this constant and continual filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that filling is either sought or neglected. Okay? Sought or neglected. And I hope over these next three weeks, I hope it makes the case biblically that we should desperately seek the Holy Spirit more than we do in our lives and in the church. Okay, now let's look at John 14 here. The context of John 14 is this, that Jesus is about to go to the cross and die. He has killed all ambiguity that he's had with his disciples. He's like, listen, guys, I am going away and I'm going to die. And so this announcement throws them into despair, right? Rightfully so. The disciples are like, what do you mean? Like, you're going to go away and die. That's not our expectation of you, right? We're going to overtake Rome. We're going to raise up in power, right? And we're going with you. That's what a Messiah does. Hmm. You ever had your expectations dashed? You ever had your expectations not met? Let's all of us nod our heads, right? Maybe by another person? You ever had your expectations not met by God? You see, Jesus would even double down on this statement in John 16, verse 7, and he would look at his disciples and he would go, it's to your advantage. This is what he says in verse 7. It's to your advantage that I go away. These guys who are in despair, these guys who are like wondering, like, what, what, what is happening? He's going, listen, it's better for you that I leave. And they're like, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's better that you stay. Why would it be better for them for Jesus to go? Well, a couple of reasons, but the primary one is this. Jesus knows the, 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 the long play here. Jesus knows the end of the story. That Jesus knows unless he goes away, the resurrection doesn't happen, Right? 
So Jesus has to go away. He has to hang on a tree. He has to be buried. So that what? So that he can be resurrected in that climax of the salvation story that he is power. He is power over death, hell, our sin, the grave is actually evident. So he's going, listen, it's to your benefit that I go away. But it's also to your benefit because I'm giving you God the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you God the Holy Spirit. And so these guys, these disciples who are left here in utter despair, Jesus clicks into this teaching on the Holy Spirit. It's like the fog was rolling in on them, and Jesus goes, hey, I want to I talk to you about something that I'm going to leave you. I want to talk about someone who I'm leaving you. I think there's also another reason they, got, they had so much despair. Did you see in verse 15 of the very first chapter I read in verse 14, uh, or chapter 14, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And did you hear that repeated in the scripture reading? If you love me, you'll keep, if you love me, you'll obey me. Those who know the father, obey him. Da, 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 da. So get this picture. He just told the disciples, I'm leaving you. And here's the reality. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And they're going, Jesus, you know our track record for the last three years. We didn't keep your commandments when you were sitting right beside us. And now you're equating, hey, if I love it's like you're going to keep my commandments. And now you're leaving? We're toast. And Jesus, no doubt, could look in their eyes. And he definitely knew their hearts. And he could see their hearts scream one word, I'm convinced. Help. Help. What do we do? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this without you? How are we going to obey you? How are we going to obey your commands? And look at it in verse 15. Excuse me, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, in the ESV, in our translation, helper. Capital H helper. Not lowercase h helper, right? Like those little fixes that we try to do. But, but the capital H helper. That is talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, helper in the English language, is a very weak word, right? It's like my six-year-old son helps me. Oh, isn't that cute, right? That is not what Jesus is talking about here. In, in our context, like a helper is like an, a non-skilled worker, someone who's just assisting us in something that we're already good or sufficient at, right? It's, it, it's really like me going to Sam and going, okay, Sam is helping me sing and learn how to play guitar. I'm tone deaf, and don't know a chord on the guitar, okay? I would never look at Sam and go, he's helping me learn how to do those things. What would I say? I would say, Sam is what? Teaching me. He's teaching me. He's instructing me in my insufficiency. That's the kind of weight that Jesus is using here. That's the kind of language that he's using here. In help, this idea of help is also a very interesting thing in the context of McKinney, Texas. Help. And hyper-affluent, self-sufficient McKinney. Let's just be honest, right? And when we get up here and we teach and we preach sermons, it's not, these aren't like Metroplex sermons. These are like specific to our body, our faith family, okay? And this is true of us. Most of us, we don't mind giving help, right? As long as it's convenient and I have the time for it. Um, but to receive help or to appear needy or to ask for help. That's a different story. Be honest. Help is something in our society that is viewed as a negative thing, something that means we're weak. We don't have it all together. We're we're missing something critical. And to that, as disciples, we're like, 
We are. His disciples in despair when they hear that Jesus is going away and they need to keep his commandments, they're going, we're missing something. And Jesus goes, exactly. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you the helper. Hear me. Um, Independence is a good thing. When we think about it in terms of like our children or our lives, like it's part of maturity and growing up. You can depend on things or people incorrectly, right? Where it becomes enabling and detrimental. I'm not talking about those things. However, what I think has rolled in upon our lives and potentially even our congregation is this idea of spiritual autonomy, right? That we can make it without the helper. You see, being a disciple of Jesus is not about growing in spiritual autonomy, but rather being a disciple of Jesus is about growing in dependence, you see, when I, when I use the word spiritual autonomy, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about self-directed, self-driven effort to attempt to please God and worship him. Let me tell you, that never works. You want an example of that? Me. When this spiritual fog rolled into my life, guess how I responded to it, right? Pastor, preacher, right? Man of God, lover of Jesus. I've got to lead more. I've got to do more, Right? I got to kind of grab it by the reins and we're disorienting it, be pushed. We got to go faster. Listen, what I say, what I say about fog, the faster you go, the more disorienting it becomes. And the Holy Spirit the whole time was going, slow down, pay attention, see what I'm trying to do and lead in your life. But I didn't, I was running too fast. I was going, no, I can do it. I was becoming more spiritually autonomous. I have the power to fix it. I know the verses. But Jesus offers us something totally different. You see, life in the spirit is about us growing deeply and practicing deeply a dependence upon God and his Holy Spirit. And what in turn happens is we really find our weakness. We find our lack where our hearts and our mouths and our lives would cry out what the disciples were thinking and cried out, help. I mean, we sing those songs, right? You know the song we sing, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. Do we? Do see do you really need him? Christian? See, Jesus knew in our lives as disciples we would need help like no other. A deep, a real abiding help that would only come in the form of himself himself being placed within us. You see the word here, help, or helper is the word, it's a Greek word, parakletos. I know you don't care about the Greek, but it's important. Because that word, other places in your Bible and my Bible, they translate it advocate. 1 John 2, talking about Jesus as our advocate. And most of us, we know that. Like, he's our advocate seated at the right hand of the Father, advocating for us to the Father. It's this beautiful thing. But Jesus goes, I'm giving you another advocate. An advocate in you. So what in the world is the Holy Spirit advocating to us? Jesus. Jesus. So we have Jesus at the right hand of the Father advocating us to the Father through his blood and through his righteousness. And then we have the Holy Spirit here advocating who? Jesus to us. Let me make this point. The promise of the Holy Spirit is just as real and needed for us today as it was for those original disciples. We need the Holy Spirit, this advocate, to argue with us, to set our minds and our hearts on the hope and truth of Christ like never before. 
We cannot simply just be content with the intellectual knowledge of Christ and the salvation that comes from him. What, what I call like the, we can't just go, okay, like I'm, I'm good with the omnipresence of God, which is a powerful and real and good thing, right? But Jesus takes it one step further to go, I don't want you just to be satisfied with my everywhere presence that you just assume and you don't experience. I want you to understand something deeper. You know what something d- deeper is? Look at it in verse 21 of John 14. I'm going to manifest myself to him. In Judas, not Iscariot, not the Judas, you know, the other one, okay? He goes, he goes, he goes, how in the world are you going to manifest? You know what the manifest presence of God is? It's the real, tangible, experiential presence of God where you're like, God showed up. I know it, I feel it, I experience it, I see it. And Judas goes, how is that going to happen? And guess who Jesus points to? He uses the same word, the advocate, the helper. And he says, here is how the helper is going to manifest me, Jesus is saying. And for some of you who come from charismatic backgrounds, you might have a preconceived idea of what that is, right? And and, and I'll get to that in in, in week three. But what's interesting is how Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will manifest him. That's what I care about. What does Jesus say? How the, the Holy Spirit, here's what he does. Verse 26, when the Holy Spirit manifests, when the helper manifests Jesus to you, here's what he'll do first. He'll teach you. He teaches us. This is the first part of verse 26 there. Teaches us what? The truth. The truth. Jesus is epitomized by the truth. He is the truth. So Jesus says that he, the Holy Spirit, is also the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit does not simply make facts known about Jesus Christ. You need to understand this. He literally presses on the deepest places and spaces of our hearts the truth of who Christ is. The Spirit's work in our life as a believer is to bring into our minds and our hearts the risen and living Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing when he manifests himself. Listen, we are swimming in a culture where truth is a moving target, is it not? Truth is attached to what? Whatever feels good or whatever feels right or whatever feels fair or just, dot, dot, dot. How desperate are we for real, capital T, truth? And all that we can say, yes and amen. How does that come? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit illuminating the word of God. Through the Holy Spirit making Jesus clearly known. We desperately need the spirit of truth teaching and advocating this to us. But that's not it. And I've got to go really quickly, okay? The second thing is this, that he causes us to remember. Keep looking in verse 26. So he teaches us, then he causes us to remember the things that Jesus has taught. This is a beautiful work of the spirit, I think, that's neglected. Um, Because we are, as a people, hear me, we are very forgetful, okay? Okay? I don't care how old you are, you're forgetful. It's like, it's like one of the results of the fall. Like we just forget things. And the spirit is the one in that moment, in those moments of us forgetting where we need to realize the truth who brings back to our memory, especially in those moments of hardship and despair and spiritual fogginess. Like we can forget what God has said and who God is. And the Holy Spirit, hear this, in real time is communicating the truth of God going, don't forget, don't forget your love. Don't forget you're a daughter of God. Don't forget you're a son of God. Don't forget that you're covered by grace, that you're covered by mercy. But the Spirit also reminds us because we have a tendency to remember the wrong thing. Some of you have a tendency to err on the side of thinking you're a little more awesome than you really are. Let's be honest. And the spirit will slap us upside the head and say, listen, no, 
Don't you remember this is who you are? Or those moments of despair where we realize those things and it wants to throw us into a tailspin. What are we going to be reminded of? We're going to be reminded of the grace and mercy of Jesus who found us just as we are and picked us up and made us clean and made us whole, right? We're going to remember things like there are now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It brings to our memory the truth and the power and the grace and mercy of Jesus. That we might remember that we're still as needy of the grace of Jesus today as we are the first day we received his grace. And then the last way he manifests from John 14 himself is that he brings real peace. He brings real peace, and Jesus clarifies that. And I love what Michael talked about last week about, like, shalom. Jesus really bringing true shalom and peace in our lives. And Jesus goes, not like the world will offer you peace. Not at all, but something totally different, Jesus says, I'm giving you. And what does the Spirit reveal to help us deal with those missed expectations? Those disappointments, those frustrations, the spiritual fog in our lives, here's what he does. He is the advocate who tells us the truth, who reminds us of what we have forgotten and brings us peace. And this is not something distant or past. This is something very real and very present for you and I as believers today. You see, we have a tendency to get caught up in those moments, those foggy moments where we're disoriented or those despairing moments and forget about the peace that Jesus is actually offering. In John chapter 16, Jesus uses an example and he uses a woman uh, giving birth. Okay, I like to stay away from these examples, but Jesus is using it, so I'm just going to use it, okay? He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Some of you have experienced that. Like this picture where it's so much anguish and so much pain and so much despair. And then what is placed in your arms upon you? A child. And that doesn't mean that the pain and the anguish was not real. And all the ladies said amen, right? But what happens? Literally, there is science to prove physiologically something happens where you are overwhelmed with this joy and this love. And it's like things get ordered rightly all of a sudden. And Jesus is going, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into you. This helper and this advocate is in you. Things become ordered rightly in your life. The pain is ordered rightly in your life and in my life. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. This is oftentimes used talking about the spiritual gifts. It says this, that our God is a God of order. A God of order. Which brings peace. For many of you this morning, what God is trying to do through the power of his Holy Spirit is for you to see him clearly. He wants to order your life so that peace might come that the peace of Christ might rule. Listen, in this text, the world is about to unload all of its overcoming power on Jesus. Let me tell you, we live in a time and a day and an age where the world is absolutely unloading all of its overcoming power upon the church. But let me remind you of John 16, verse 33. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you're about to see the world and all of its power, but take heart. Take heart. 
I've overcome the world. And because you're in me and my spirit is in you, you can have the confidence. You can have the peace that no matter what's swirling around you, no matter what fog rolls into your life, you can have the peace that truly the scriptures say pass our mind's understanding because the spirit of God is in you, the helper, the advocate. And so we're going to take communion this morning. We're all going to come and get it. And we're going to switch to, I'm just, we're going to take communion every week as a faith family for, for the foreseeable future. Um, and I want us to steward this time well. Not just to come down, get the tank, come back. I want this space to be a space where the Holy Spirit can speak and press in our lives. Like we're coming to receive the elements, the broken body and shed blood of Christ. It's like every week we're going to get out of our chairs and we're going to come down, friends. We're going to receive Christ again. We're going to make the confession that we love him again and again and again. We're going to ask his Holy Spirit to speak. We're going to ask his Holy Spirit to comfort. There are going to be prayers behind me to just prompt you. I want to meet with Jesus in this space. Amen? I want to meet with him in this, this, this moment right here in the couple minutes we have left together where he might just wave upon wave give us his peace through his Holy Spirit. And for some of you, that fog may begin to dissipate. For other of you, you're going to be reassured that in the middle of the fog, Christ is there, that his presence is real, walking with you. And there's nothing that can take that. And so hosts, would you come down and get ready? I'm going to pray a quick prayer and then we're going to take communion. And listen, some of you are like, oh, this is going to take forever. Why are you in a rush? Right? Our kids workers, I get it. I'm going to be mindful of them. But listen, we're in a rush all the time. I'm in a rush all the time in my world. I want this to be a space and a place where we can just rest and slow down and pay attention. Father, do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, quicken our minds. Let us pay attention. Let us slow down as we receive these elements this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Advocate. Advocate the truth. Remind us and bring peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.